in a new era of American space exploration. To be the first means to be a pioneer. Being the first means accomplishing something no one has ever accomplished before. There are trails to be blazed, there's work to be done, and several steps to take. But the pioneer knows that a journey, no matter how long, begins with the first step. Good evening. Welcome to Life Church. And uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church. And Pastor Aaron uh, wishes you well this weekend. He is actually, as it's like, what, like negative 20 here. He's in Sri Lanka, which is like 80 degrees or 85 degrees or something like that. But he is actually there. If you guys remember uh, back in the fall when we had uh, Pastor Deshaun speak back in November, I believe it was, in the series, This Is Why, he is at Deshaun's church. So Deshaun came here and spoke uh, to us, and he's there speaking uh, to uh, thousands of people actually in Sri Lanka. And so it's Sunday morning there, and just in a, in a few hours they'll uh, be having service there as well. But uh, it's very cool to see the, how the body of Christ can work, you know, that we can loan out our pastor to speak. It's like 9,000 miles, uh, you know, across the world. And uh, it's, just, it's very cool to see that happening. And like Noel said, we're in a series called The First. And so we're looking at the very first church. And kind of talking about it a little bit. And um, for me personally, I can tell you that I, I love the local church. And this is something that for me, uh, the local church has been a huge part of my life, uh, my entire life. Uh, I grew up in the church and um, sometimes quite literally. I mean, I was there all the time. And how many of you guys can relate? Just You were just, when the doors of the church were open, you guys were there growing up. Anybody? Can you any, there's like one, two people. I know there's more than you than that, uh, but you can relate when it was uh, just growing up at church. And I just had a, a strong just uh, love for the church. And I know that I hear many stories of people that kind of rebelled against the church and things like that. That just was never part of my story. And I'm very uh, fortunate to be able to have that type of of story. And I've, in fact, I've preached an, an entire message. I've preached a couple of messages about how much I love the local church. And tonight, we're going to be talking about uh, the local church. Um, my son, uh, I, have, I have two sons. I have one that's four and one that's 16 months. And then I have an older daughter who's, who's six. And uh, one of the uh, things that I hope is that my kids love the church. You know, that, that's what I want to happen. I want them to have the same love and, and passion for the local church that I do. And I don't want to force that on them, but I, I want them to come to that themselves. And um, a few uh, weeks ago, maybe three, four weeks ago, my son Ben, it's very, he's a very sweet kid, very sincere, and he uh, came up to my wife Amanda and he said to her, Mom, and with all sincerity, he said, Mom, I, I feel like Jesus is speaking to my heart that, I'm, that he needs me to be a pastor. And it was one of these moments that was like, oh man, that's just, that's awesome. And little did we know that he was talking about right now. Like, not like, hey, someday, 
but he was talking about right now. And uh, 15 minutes later, he came to Amanda, and this is what he said. I wrote it down. Make sure I get it right. He said, uh, so uh, he told me that tomorrow I'm going to need all of my supplies. So can you get me a new backpack, a computer, an iPad, paper and pens, and of course, I'll need my own keys. And so... Uh, you know, that's a, apparently what it takes to be a pastor. You need all those things. But uh, he was very, very serious about it, very sincere about it. In fact, um, not something that, you know, sometimes kids will say stuff and then like the next minute they forgot about it and they moved on. This is something that uh, he's pretty, he's pretty in, intent on doing. He, he wants to be a pastor. And so, um, in fact, every, every so often, probably once a week or so, he'll ask me about being a pastor. And he'll talk, I mean, this is a four-year-old, and he'll... Um, He'll, you know, sometimes on, or most of the time on Saturday, I'll get here uh, maybe a couple hours before service or so, and, and even if I'm not speaking, kind of just kind of getting ready for service and making sure everything, you know, is ready to go. And so when you guys come, it's, you know, it's kind of like in a restaurant that, hey, everything's all set to go, so you're not having to deal with the, the kitchen, you know, so uh, everything that's going on in the kitchen. So we want to make sure that it's, it's that way here. And so um, he, he asked, can I come with you, Dad? And I'm like, sure. I mean, it's pretty boring, but yeah, you can come with me. I, I mean, come with me, do whatever. And so he'll pack up his little backpack uh, with all the things that he thinks he needs. And so he'll get here, he'll draw and color and all that kind of stuff, but he'll pay attention. He'll actually sit right back over here during the run. We do like a little run through just to make sure that we have, you know, all the videos and, and things that go, you know, the lyrics and all that kind of stuff is just in and ready to go. And he'll just watch through the, the run through. And, you know, I hope that he never loses that. I hope that he never loses this love uh, for the local church. My kids get disappointed if for some reason they don't get to go to church on a weekend or if they only get to go to two services instead of three services. I mean, literally, they get bummed about it. And so I love the local church, and uh, I, I hope that you uh, uh, feel blessed to be a part of a local church. That's, that's really what the series is, is, is all about, just how awesome it is that we get to do this uh, together. Last weekend, Pastor Aaron spoke a message about being together and how the first church was together. That was kind of the theme word for the weekend was together. And this weekend, we're going to talk a little bit about how we're not just meant to be together. Yes, yes, we are, but we're meant to go out. We're meant to be salt and light, as the Bible says. We're meant to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. We're meant to make an impact in our communities. We're going to read a story that many of you have probably heard before. It's a story of Peter healing uh, the crippled beggar. It's in Acts chapter 3. If you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3 or your, your phones or tablets or whatever you have, it's also going to be on the screen in just a minute. But just to give you a little bit of context about this story, uh, this is a, a pretty incredible miracle that happens. In fact, it's the first miracle that happens after Jesus leaves the earth, which I think there's some significance to that. We could spend some time on that. But the fact is, miracles can happen today. If they can happen after Jesus ascended to heaven, then they can happen today. And many of you have maybe witnessed miracles that have happened in your lifetime. Uh, that's a pretty encouraging thing today, that it didn't just happen when Jesus walked the face of this earth, but it happened after uh, he ascended to heaven. But there's this crippled man, and uh, he's crippled since birth. The Bible says that he was about 40 years old, and so he'd been crippled for 40 years, and he would sit at the, the, the gate that would go to the temple in Jerusalem, and he would beg. That tells us a few things about this man that aren't necessarily talked about in Scripture. One, uh, he probably didn't have any family, okay, because if he had family, they would have taken care of him, so he was pretty much all on his own. 
Uh, second, he, he couldn't take advantage of, there, were, there was somewhat of a welfare system set up in Jerusalem in those days, and what it, what it would be like is that um, not everybody could take all of their grain or all of their fruit or all, or, all of their vegetables. When it came to harvest, um, they would have to leave a little bit behind, and that little bit was so that people who were living in poverty could come through and at least get something to eat. And so they had somewhat of a system set up to help a guy like this, but the guy can't walk. So he couldn't even take advantage of this system uh, that was in place. Um, also, this is kind of just kind of kick a man when he's down. You know, that, that he, um, uh, his parents, what people believed is that his parents had probably sinned. And that's why he was crippled. So he was crippled since birth. So his parents must have been sinners. Um, some people, they would just try to stay away from him because they were like, I don't want to get around that because God, that's God's judgment on him. I mean, it... This dude, if you ever think that your scenario, your circumstances are bad, just go back and read uh, Acts chapter 3. This guy can likely top your story uh, th that you might have. But he uh, had a pretty rough life, and he was also a pretty famous beggar in the sense that everybody kind of knew who he was. The Bible talks a little bit about that um, in, later on in Acts chapter 3 and in Acts chapter 4. Many people knew who he was, might have even known him by name, uh, but he was a famous beggar. That's significant. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we're going to read 10 verses here. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Many of you guys are probably thinking about the song you learned in Sunday school, in the name of Jesus Christ. You guys want to sing it with me? Of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Does nobody know that song? Is, am I the only? Okay, we'll just keep reading. Verse 7, it says this, Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Can you imagine? That's, that's just incredible. Verse 9, it says, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who had used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, there's, there's a lot of spiritual truth in this passage of Scripture. And this past week, as I've really kind of began to study and, and try to figure out, man, what, how can I whittle this down in, into just a, a little, little bit of information, a little bit of encouragement for you today? And, you know, one overarching thought that keep, kept coming back to me was simply this, that God uses people to do great things. If you're taking notes today, that's kind of like my, that's my one key thought today, is that God uses people to do great things. Now we can pray and just be dismissed because that's about all we need to hear today, but I'll speak a little bit longer today. I, I, I gotta, you know, us preachers, we can't speak less than about uh, 30 minutes or so, but God uses people to do great things. Now that's pretty significant to me because when you read through the Bible, God can do anything that he wants to do. He's sovereign, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he, he knows everything. He can do whatever he wants to do, but he chooses to work through people. In fact, like 99.9% .9 of the time or so, God works through people. 
He doesn't have to. He could just say, man, he could speak something to, into existence and it would be, but he chooses to work through people. That's significant for us and it should encourage us as a church to say, man, God can do great things through us. And I don't know about you, but I want, I want God to do great things through me. Not just great things in my life. Yes, I want that too, but I want God to use me to do great things. And I think, um, you know, I've talked to lots of people over the years and just about um, one of the biggest things that keeps coming back is I want, to be, I want my life to be significant. I want my life to have purpose. I want to be used to do something great and significant. The good news is, is that God wants to use us to do great things. There's a few characteristics that we see in this story. In fact, um, I wrote down six of them, and I'm going to give them to you pretty quick tonight. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on some of them, but there's six things that I think, man, that Peter and John clearly displayed, and they seem to be characteristics of people all throughout Scripture that are used by God. If you want to be used by God, there's a few things that, man, they have to be evident in your life uh, for God to, to use you in great and mighty ways. The first thing, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to, to, to write these down, not necessarily because I think it's some groundbreaking truth, but because if you write down all six of them, you'll be able to look and say, man, there's probably a few of them, maybe one, two, three, maybe four of them that you don't do so well. And I think it's good for us to examine ourselves a little bit and say, which of these areas do I need to improve on? There's probably areas that you naturally do pretty well, but others that you're like, man, this is, that, that's convicting to me. So I encourage you to, to write these down or take a little note on your phone today. But the first one is this. God uses people who are doing the right things. God uses people who are doing the right things. And I'm not going to be all that deep tonight, as you can see, but God uses people who are just simply doing the right thing. Not people who are perfect or flawless or without sin, but God uses people who are simply trying to do the right thing. I believe Peter and John, they, they were flawed human beings. We could go back through Scripture and I could point out many times that you're like, man, that was a flaw, that was a flaw, that was a flaw. I mean, Peter denied Jesus three times. <laughs> that, that's not good. Uh, you know, I just heard somebody ask Siri a question or something like that. Sorry, I'm a little ADD, so scatterbrained. But Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three times. And yet he was used by God to do great things. God notices when we're trying to do the right thing. And Peter and John were people that I believe were trying to do the right thing. They were going to pray at the temple. That's the reason, as you read in verse 1, that's the reason that they were going to the temple was to pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They were trying to do the right thing. I also think it's significant that Peter and John were together because Peter, as we just said, uh, had denied Jesus three times. I believe Peter was living with an incredible amount of guilt I believe Peter was uh, somewhat estranged from the other disciples. They were like, man, you, you, you denied Jesus. You know, come on, man, get with it. But John, who is always described as being very loving, I believe was ministering to Peter. doesn't say this explicitly, but he was walking with Peter, saying, let's go do this together. I, I, Peter and John were trying to do the right thing, and God has a way of using and recognizing people who are, who are just simply trying to do the right thing. Second thing that we see is that God uses people who are willing to be interrupted. God uses people who are willing to be interrupted. If, if, if I were to tell you which of these is probably the hardest for me, it, it's this one right here. To allow my schedule to be interrupted. I don't, I don't do well with that, just to be honest with you. 
But Peter and John, they're going to pray. And the Bible records a, a detail that it says at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so it, it, it sounds like it's a specific time that they're supposed to be there at 3 o'clock. And they, they say, hold on, we can put our, our schedule on hold for just a minute. That's difficult, I believe, for many of us to do, to say, to just put our schedule on hold because we see an opportunity uh, for something amazing to happen, for God to, to use us in a certain s- situation. I don't know what I would have done. I think many of us might have kept walking. You know, we've seen this man probably dozens of times before. We know who he is. I mean, he was a pretty famous beggar. We would have walked by him before. Peter and John probably knew him. Maybe not by name, but they knew who he was. They could have just kept walking like everybody else did all the time. They could have just said, hey, we're going to pray. We'll pray for you, you know? <laughs> That's kind of like the, what we all fall back on often as Christians. We're like, ah, I'll, just, I'll pray for you. And, uh, but they didn't do that. They stopped. They recognized the need, and they, they, they gave them their attention. I heard a statistic this week that has uh, really bothered me. It's by the Barno Research Group, which a lot of their statistics I find really, really kind of bother me. Uh, I try not to read too many of them, but it says that 49% of unchurched Americans cannot identify a single way that Christianity has positively impacted the United States. Say that again. Half, 49% of all people who do not go to church cannot think of one way that the church and Christianity has significantly impacted or positively impacted America. That, that's a problem. And I often wonder, why is that? I thought about that all week. Why is that? I think it comes back to this point right here, that there's so many Christians, myself included, I'm, I'm very much guilty of this, that never take time out of their schedule to just recognize a need, to see a need, and to meet it. We don't like to be interrupted. I, I think back on a story that... Uh, something that happened to me about 10 years ago. And I was youth pastoring. I was a 20-year-old kid, uh, youth pastoring in River Falls, Wisconsin. And I had taken a group of students to a music festival. It's called Sunshine Music Festival in Wilmer, Minnesota. And we, uh, we went there, and it was, it was, honestly, it was like the hottest week of my life. Just to, it was, we were tent camping. I'm not a big tent camper to begin with. I'm not really that kind of guy. And so it was like upper 90s the entire week. I have blonde hair and fair skin, and I just don't do well in 98-degree weather all, all week. And so it smells, it's dirty, it's sweaty. I mean, I, just, I was just miserable. So I was already on edge a little bit, and, and we were running low on, on water, and we had to go get some more food and things like that. So I said, I, I volunteer. I'll, I'll go into town and do it, because at least I'll get some air conditioning in a car for a little while, and I'll get to sit in the frozen food section for a little while and just get my core temp back to a reasonable uh, level. And so I go, and as I'm going, I took a youth leader with me, and I'm going and pulling into a parking lot. And I'll never forget this. I think about this often because I I, I definitely regret uh, this moment in my life. There's a woman who knocked on my window and said, hey, you know, could you help give us a hand? Our car uh, needs needs to be jumped, and uh, could you give us a hand? And I remember in that moment, it was almost like, I can't believe I did this, but I actually said to the woman, I'm sorry, kind of on a tight schedule. I, I need to get back to, to where I am as quickly as possible. I don't have time right now. And I, 
it was like immediate regret almost, like, but I didn't, I, I didn't even know what to do. I'm like, should I go back? Should I do anything? And then I look back a little bit later, and, and, and there's, she's already asked somebody else, and somebody else is, is already helping her. To this day, like, I, I just have a, an intense regret in that moment. Because I, I just had my own little schedule, my own little agenda, and I, I wouldn't just take time out just, just to help somebody. And I don't know, maybe that day, how God wanted to use that situation. Maybe there was something even bigger than just seeing this woman's car started again. Maybe there was something bigger in store. I don't know, but I'm telling you, I regret that to this day for not just taking time out and allowing my schedule to be interrupted. God uses people who are willing to be interrupted. Third thing is that God uses people who pay attention to needs. They pay attention to needs. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but they paid attention to the man. They could have walked by, but the Bible actually records this detail. It says they look straight at him. Another translation, I I love the way it it says it. It says that they fastened their eyes on him. I mean, you can can see that they weren't just like, yeah, they noticed him or they, you know, they kind of saw him out of the corner of their eye. No, they they fastened their eyes on this man. They They gave him their complete attention. They recognize a need and they were going to do something about it. I would just ask today, what needs are there around you? Are there, are there needs around you? I'm, I'm, the answer is yes, there are needs around you. But what are they? And I'd encourage you, this is, this is something that will be, uh, be uh, challenging to you, is maybe go back home later today or tomorrow or this weekend. If, if you're married, I encourage you, maybe talk about it with your spouse. But make a list. What are, what are the needs around you? I think you'll start seeing really quick that there's, there's a lot of needs. Maybe there's just somebody who... There's a relational need. They just need to be encouraged. Maybe there's a coworker who's going through a difficult circumstance. They're going through a divorce or something like that, and they just, need, they just need somebody to encourage them. Maybe there's a family member that just needs somebody to pray with them. Maybe there's a, a financial need that you notice. Uh, maybe there's just um, you know, somebody in your neighborhood that you know there's a physical need. I know that there's a there's a, a woman in our uh, where we live that um, she uh, is is a widow. I can tell you every time I go to plow my driveway, I'm always looking like, okay, is, is her driveway good? Is, does she need help? And oftentimes, plowing her driveway, or sometimes another neighbor will beat me to it. But um, what are the needs around you? God uses people who pay attention to needs. God uses people who pay attention to needs. The fourth thing that we see here is that God uses people who use what they have. He uses people who use what they have. Peter and John say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have, I give to you. They don't get stuck on what I don't have. I, we don't have silver and gold. Sorry, man. We, we have the same need that you do in that area. We don't have any money. But what we do have, we'll give to you. And actually, if you, uh, probably, a, I think, a better translation of that phrase, but what we have, we get, what I have, I give to you, would be who I am, I give to you. The very essence of who I am, I give to you. We see this picture of Peter and John, not just helping the guy, but but pouring their heart out to him, pouring themselves out to him. We see Jesus, a similar um, phrase was used, but uh, when, when Jesus saw people in need, the Bible says many times that he was moved with compassion. That's one of my favorite phrases in Scripture, 
when Jesus was moved with compassion, it's very challenging for me because when's the last time that I was moved with compassion? When's the last time you were moved with compassion? See, I believe that there's, um, the first church was really good at, at pouring themselves out for other people, for not only seeing need, but for, uh, but for doing, but for using what they had to pour out to another person. I think that there's two people, two types of people, in this room, and, and we're all fall into one camp or the other. Maybe we kind of go between one and the other from time to time. But there's there's lifters, and there's leaners. Leaners are people who are always looking for somebody else to lean on. And can I tell you, there's times in our lives where we are leaners, where we need somebody to, to be able to lean on from time to time. But I think most of the time we should be lifters. And those are people who are looking to lift up other people. They're looking for leaners to say, man, I can lift you up. And in the middle, see, we're always going to have something in our life that is, there, there's always going to be a situation. There's always going to be an adverse circumstance from time to time. But even in the middle of that, can we say, you know what, I know that I have this need in my life, but I can still be there to lift up somebody else. That's the type of person that God uses. Fifth thing that we see is that God uses people who walk in in God's authority. God uses people who walk in his authority. You know, I, I had an amazing thought come over me as I was kind of reading through this passage of Scripture. I've never heard anybody preach on it before, but maybe, maybe you've heard this before, but it was a new thought to me, you know, I think a divine thought, but that um, Jesus probably knew the, who this man was. Jesus probably walked by this man before. If you were going to the temple, you would have almost always walked by this man. And uh, what, what's pretty fascinating about that. I mean, the, the scripture records that, you know, five times that, that Jesus actually went to the temple. And I, I'm guessing it was dozens of times, maybe even hundreds of times, that Jesus walked to the temple and, and would have probably walked by this man. And Jesus never heals him. And I think there's a lot of reasons why, but what I think is real interesting is that Peter and John probably were with Jesus when he walked by this man and never healed him. And yet Peter and John in that moment say, this man needs to be healed and God wants to use us to do it. There's, there's, it, it almost sounds arrogant, to be honest with you. Like, Jesus never healed them, but I bet you, you know, we can be used to heal them. It almost sounds arrogant, but it's not arrogance. It's that they, they were walking in the authority of God. Not in the, in the arrogance, not, not, you know, not because we're so great, but they were walking in the authority of God. Of God, And I, I'm just going to tell you, I think so often that we don't see things like this happen in our lives is because oftentimes we don't walk in the authority of God. We don't say that, man, God, he actually said, you know, Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verse 12, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. I don't think Jesus is using hyperbole right there. I don't think he's just exaggerating. I think he literally means that you will do greater things than even I have done if you will walk in my authority. The only thing that changed in Peter's life from, this is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times. This is the same Peter who, remember the story of walking on water, that he actually began to sink and, and Jesus actually said, oh, you of little faith. 
and he, and he helps them up. This is, a, this is the same Peter who often doubted and had, had, had issues with faith from time to time. Same Peter is now walking in the authority of God. The only difference is that he now has the Holy Spirit living and active in his life. If you read back in Acts chapter 2, and we spent four weeks on a series called The Ghost where we talked about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it if, if that piques your interest or, or if you missed it. But Peter is full of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. That Peter had a certain power that he had never had before. That's what walking in the authority of God looks like. The last thing that we see here is that God uses people who want God to receive the glory. God uses people who want God to receive the glory. I think this is important that we don't miss it because so often we want God to do great things, but God's asking us, well, what are you going to do with it? You know, uh, are, are you just, just going to, there's just going to be something amazing happen and then that's it and you just walk away? But that's not what Peter and John did. If you continue reading, and I won't read the entire thing, but verses 11 through 26, I'm just going to read a portion of it. Starting in verse 11, it says, While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Verse 12, When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? And skipping to verse 16, it says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is, in G it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Peter gave honor to God. He didn't say, Man, this, isn't, this, isn't our own, this isn't our godliness <laughs> that, that healed this man. This has nothing to do with us. This has everything to do with God. And I often wonder, would this miracle have happened? Because God is all-knowing. He, he knows how Peter, how this is all going to play out. He knows if Peter, how Peter's going to handle it. And I often wonder, would, Jesus have, would, would God have performed this miracle through Peter if Peter didn't give honor to God? If Peter didn't kind of connect the dots for those people? Because he had a captive audience. I mean, again, th this man was, people knew who he was. And they were like, that's, that's the guy that has been sitting there for 40 years, crippled and begging. And he is, I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> he is walking and leaping and praising. I mean, just unbelievable. And Peter takes note of this. And he says, I got all these people's attention right now. And so Peter goes into a sermon, essentially. He begins to preach about how we need to repent and be baptized. And that you too can have Jesus living inside of you. And the Bible records in chapter 4, verse 4, that 5,000 men were saved that day. 5,000 men began to follow Christ as a result of that miracle. Now, I'm sorry, ladies and children, but when they would count numbers like that in the Bible, they, were not they would never count women and children. And so 5,000 men probably represented anywhere between 10, maybe upwards of 20,000 people that received Christ that day because of this miracle. That's pretty incredible. I often wonder, would that have happened if Jesus had performed the miracle? Because there were many people that in, in Jesus' day would kind of dismiss 
miracles that Jesus did because they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, he, I mean, he goes around and does miracles. And some people actually thought that there, he might have been demon-possessed. I mean, there were people that had all these theories, but I'm not sure that it would have gotten the same attention if Jesus had done the miracle. But now Jesus' followers are doing miracles. That got people's attention. And in God in his infinite wisdom, I believe, allowed, uh, knew that this moment was going to happen knew that Peter and John were going, going to heal this man and 5,000 people gave their lives to Christ because of it. See, I believe we can, we can show, we can find God, we can point people to God in any situation. You know, what does that look like practically? I, I don't know, but uh, you hear so often about celebrities that, you know, commit suicide or are depressed and in those moments when that's kind of all the chatter and, and everybody, you know, at work or whatever it might be are talking about it, to be able to say, man, isn't it amazing that somebody that seems to have it all, they have money, fame, fortune, they have everything, and yet they still aren't content. They still don't have a peace about that. And it opens a door to be able to, to talk about it. I was at a, a conference this past week um, and it was uh, John Maxwell was, spoke at the conference. Many of you know John Maxwell, maybe read his books, but he's kind of the number one leadership guru, <laughs> really, in the world. And, but he's a Christ follower. He's actually a former pastor, and he has a heart to see people saved. And so he'll go into business settings often, and he's very intentional about it. He's not just going in saying, man, if it happens, maybe I'll be able to share Christ. Or he, he doesn't go in like that. He goes in with a very intentional plan. And he said oftentimes what he'll do is at the beginning, he'll, he'll be speaking to a Fortune 500 company and all the employees and executives are there and he'll say, man, I, there's five things that I think if, that it takes to be successful in leadership. I'm going to give you four of them today and he'll begin to share. He'll share all four of them. And then at the end, he, he won't even talk about the fifth and people inevitably every time, okay, what's the fifth? You've got to tell us the fifth. And he'll say, no, 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 you don't, you don't want to know the fifth. And of course, when you tell somebody you don't want to know something, they, they want to know, know something, they'll say, well, you know what, the fifth one is about my faith, and really, I haven't been asked to come here and, and speak about that, so I, really, I, I'm just not going to share that right now. And they say, no, 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 we want to know. And they're like begging him, we want to know. And so he says, you know what, here's what we'll do. We're going to dismiss, take a break, but in five, ten minutes, I'm going to be right over here, and I will, uh, if, if you want, I'll share the fifth one with you. And again, you're asking me. You know, he'll do one of those things. And he said 90% of the people would come back every time. 90% would come back. And he began to share his faith with those people. And he, he said that thousands of business, top business executives have given their lives to Christ in, in that format. But he's intentional about it. He's saying, everything that I do, I'm going to bring it back to God somehow. That's challenging for me. Can, can, we, can we bring everything that happens in our life, can we bring it back to God? That's the type of people that God uses to do great things. He uses people that are doing the right things. He uses people that are willing to be interrupted. That, that for me, is, is convicting. He uses people that pay attention to the needs around them uses people that use what they have, not what they lack. He uses people that walk in God's authority, and he uses people who want God to receive all of the glory. And you know, today, as we, we're, we're going to wrap up, but I want to show you something 
Um, you know, we talk about the, this miracle that happened. And, and sometimes I think, honestly, you read about them in Scripture and, and it's, man, that was 2,000 years ago. That was right after Jesus, left, you know, ascended to heaven. There seemed to be this spiritual climate that was there. And I think it's easy for us to dismiss miracles that happen in Scripture sometimes because we're like, you know, I don't see that happening in my world today. And I, I think God wants to encourage you today and say, you know what, miracles happen today. And many of you in this room have, have seen, have been witnesses of miracles that have happened, maybe in your own life or uh, people's lives around you. And I was talking to a man who attends Life Church. His name is Carl. And he, told, he was telling me about his story and how he was literally, he died in a car accident and was resuscitated 10 minutes later. I mean, just an incredible, just, a, just an absolute miracle. And there's a lot more to the story. But um, it's just about a minute long, but I just want to show you real quick. This is somebody that attends Life Church, that has experienced the hand of God and has experienced a miracle very similar uh, to this. Why don't you check this out? A man fighting for his life after a horrible collision with a dump truck. This happened on Milwaukee's South Side, 21st and Morgan. Police say the car was in the westbound lane. My car hit a 27,500-pound dump truck from behind. I had to be extricated from my car, and I was pronounced dead. But it was through the grace of God that a doctor on a Flight for Life helicopter inserted a breathing tube, and I was resuscitated and brought back to life. While at the hospital, doctors and nurses were telling my family friends to say their goodbyes because they did not expect me to live. And if I did live, I'd be a vegetable. So today I ask people, what kind of vegetable would I be? Our Father says in Nehemiah 9.31, Nevertheless, in your great mercy, I did not utterly consume you nor forsake you, for I am God, gracious and merciful. So I ask you today, when you look at someone, you never know what it is that you see, because they could be a miracle right before you. Thank you. You know, that's just uh, part of the story. You know, Carl was telling me that since then he's had opportunities to uh, tell his story to hundreds of people, thousands of people, and being able to be an encouragement uh, to them. I'm just going to tell you, God does amazing things right here, right now in our lives. Amen. There's nothing, there's nothing that surprises God. <laughs> I don't think God is caught off guard ever. And can I just encourage you today that, that uh, I don't know what it is that you, be, you might be facing. Maybe you're in a situation that and you just need a miracle. Can I tell you that God does miracles today? I see Carl actually sitting right back here in the, in the audience today and it's just pretty incredible to see that God does amazing things today. Let me pray for you today. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us 2,000 years later, that it encourages us, that maybe we're on the end where we, we, we need to receive a miracle. God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith today. God, maybe we're on, on the other end that we just... Don't feel like we've been moved with compassion 
very much of late. God, I pray that you would stir up our hearts. God, I know that this past week you've really challenged me personally to allow my my schedule to be interrupted, to, to really look for the needs of those around me, to really be paying attention, God. That's what you did in the first church. That's what made the first church great. What made the first church great was it was a group of people who were very much aware of the needs around them. God, I pray that Life Church would be that type of church. God, we can come here and, and we worship you and we learn more about you. We're encouraged by you, but God, ministry happens when we leave. I pray, God, that you would strengthen us today, that if, if we lack confidence, if we lack uh, faith today, God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would encourage us today, God. God, we pray that we would be like this first church, that we would be like Peter and John that we would be encouraged by that today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.